Now, at Fairfield, a new series today on um, encountering Jesus. And um, you might have heard it over your life, if you've been a Christian for a while, um, the idea of having a relationship with Jesus. Um, when I was growing up, I remember my um, youth ministers often saying, encouraging me to invite Jesus into my heart and to that, that religion, uh, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Um, but is it really true that uh, we are to have a relationship with Jesus? Is it really true that we're to invite Jesus into our heart? If you think about the New Testament, I, there aren't too many times you can think of when the apostles going around to the people and the disciples going to the people and saying, why don't you have a relationship with Jesus? They don't say that, do they? What do they say? They say, this guy is the Messiah. Jesus is the Saviour. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. Submit to him. So, but what happened was, in the history of Christianity, uh, about 200 years ago, in America, there were these revival meetings, and it became a big thing, a big focus, uh, the idea of having a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a little bit misleading, the idea, because you don't really have a personal relationship with Jesus in the sense that it's not just you and Jesus. You have, you, when you become a Christian, you enter into the community of believers. You, you share that faith with other people. And he's the Lord of all Christians. He's not just the Lord, Lord of the universe, too, for that matter. It's not just you and him. But on the other hand, this concept, while the phrase relationship with Jesus isn't a... Ver you won't find a verse, really, that says that kind of line or that concept. This, this concept is throughout the whole Bible. So you think about right from the start of the Bible, you open the first couple of pages of Genesis. What is God doing? He's trying to, or he is, he's hanging out with people. He, he's being with people. His, his creation, his huma, humanity. And all the way through the Bible, it's God making, being present with people in different ways. Even though the human beings turn their back on him and sin and, and do all kinds of horrible things to each other, God keeps pursuing humanity. And then, what does he finally do to, to make his point? So that he could have the, this relationship with, with people, he sends Jesus, um, and, and Jesus gets up close and personal with people and sits around tables with people. And so, in another sense, we really do have a relationship with Jesus. And so, for Christians to have a relationship with Jesus the first thing we've got to do is to really realise that he's real. Sometimes in church, we can spend so much time thinking and reading the Bible and debating ideas that Jesus becomes an idea, a concept, like a philosophical construction. But Jesus is a living person. He is real. You know, on Easter Day, we say Jesus is is risen. We don't say Jesus rose or Jesus was risen. We say Jesus is risen. In other words, Jesus is alive in his resurrection body and we as Christians can have a relationship with him. Now I'm not going to try and prove to you this morning that Jesus is real because if I could do that I'd be the greatest theologian of all time and uh, things would be very different. But what I'm going to try and do is show you what you can expect 
from knowing the real Jesus. And we're going to do that by looking at this passage, this great and famous passage about the healing of Jairus' daughter and also the raising of Jairus' daughter and the healing of the bleeding woman. Well, the first thing is, if we were to think about Jesus being real, the first thing to know is that we can interact with him. The story that we've had read involves two people in great need. First of all, there's Jairus, who's this big, important synagogue leader, whose 12-year-old daughter is dying. And there's no one more distressed than a parent whose child is dying. And then the other person in need is this woman who's constantly had her period for 12 years and making her very, very sick. And in some of the versions of the original Greek text of the book of Luke, it says an extra sentence, which is that she'd spent all her money on doctors and none of them had been able to heal her. Remembering that Luke, the writer of of the gospel, was probably a doctor, we think, because he's referred to as a doctor, medical doctor. So, you know, Luke knows what he's talking about. This woman, she was in great trouble and she was marginalised and, uh, you, you know, she was seen as ritually unclean by her community. So she's the other person who's really in need in this story. And by this stage in Jesus' ministry, he'd become very famous in his own kind of region. Luke tells us that a crowd had formed and that these crowds were so big and so wild that they almost crushed him. This is how famous he was. And with all famous people, you don't really believe that they're real until you see them in the flesh. I don't know if you've ever seen really famous people in the flesh before. I, I uh, Once, in a, about January 2000 it was, I was in London studying, um, doing some research at the Lambeth Palace Library. And one night, I was wandering around London on my own and I was in Leicester Square. Leicester Square in London, if you've been there, central London, there's lots of big um, cinemas that, um, like the, the ones where they do their, the premieres for the, the movies in London. And there was this huge crowd in Leicester Square. So I just sort of went into the crowd and I asked a few people, what's the crowd for? And they said, well, it's the premiere of the movie The Beach and Leonardo DiCaprio is about to appear. So I was like, cool, Leonardo DiCaprio. So um, I stood in the crowd and we were all shoulder to shoulder and we were standing on our tippy toes for a few hours and a car would arrive at the front of the cinema, somebody would get out but it wasn't Leo. The next person came but it wasn't Leo. I waited for several hours, I never saw him. So I actually don't think he's a real person. I think he's a construction, apparently he went in the back door or something, I don't know. But this was not the experience of, Jesus, of, uh, of Jairus and the bleeding woman. They went to the crowds looking for this famous rabbi healer person. And there he was, Jesus. Jairus threw himself at Jesus' feet. He grabbed Jesus' feet sobbing and pleading. And the woman who was unclean and marginalised says that she wanted to go unnoticed, came up to him from behind, grabbed the edge of his cloak, and then once Jesus identified that it was her, she too threw herself at Jesus' feet, trembling, it says. They went to Jesus, and he noticed them and responded. 
So friends, Jesus is real. And one of the things that means is that um, just like Jairus and the woman interacting with Jesus, going to him and him responding, we can do that too. Now the thing is, Jesus isn't walking around Melbourne, um, so we can't wait in Fed Square or something and wait for Jesus. We can't literally throw himself at his sandals, at his feet, but we can cry out to him in prayer. We can call on him. And we can physically experience him through the church. The church community, which the Bible also calls the body of Christ. Christianity is not a just me and Jesus faith. Christianity is intensely corporate. Christianity is a life lived out among the body of believers who know Christ together as Lord and Saviour. And this is why Paul, the apostle, writes to the Ephesian church, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 to 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him, that's Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, the fullness of Jesus, who fills all in all. The fullness of God is around in the people of the messy local church. This is who you and I can lean on. So your, your relationship with Jesus, the real Jesus, has this vertical aspect that you can talk to him, you can pray to him, you can hear his words spoken through the scriptures, and also you can relate to him horizontally through the body of Christ, the people of the church. While Jesus had, has been known to miraculously appear to people um, in dreams, normally if you want to experience Jesus, don't wait for him in a dream. That's not, that's not the norm. You need to be interacting with him through the life of the local church. Secondly, Jesus is real. He gets his hands dirty with impure people. This was a time in history where most people did not have soap or running water. There were no drains for most people. I mean, the Roman Empire had set up aqueducts and things, but most people didn't have stuff like that and, and no knowledge of bacteria. So attitudes and taboos around purity were a way to manage public health. And two perceived sources of impurity were menstruating women and also corpses. And you think corpses. Yeah, but in, in most communities, in most of history, people had a closer connection to people when they died. Corpses were a regular feature of community life. But Jesus didn't agree with this idea of, of impurity. He wasn't worried about these social taboos. He was happy to risk being considered impure himself. He did this not just with the people in the story that we've just had who were sick and dying, but also with people who are impure in other ways, uh, morally impure, demonically possessed, people who were publicly known sinners. And that means he's happy to interact and associate with impure people like you and me. In the book of Revelation, in the opening chapters, Jesus writes a letter to the church in Laodicea. And the church in Laodicea had a huge problem. Jesus said they were wretched, they were pitiful, they were poor, 
blind and naked. Jesus, this was Jesus' way of saying, you think you have everything, Laodicea, you rich middle-class church. You think you have everything, good morals, wealth, fine clothes, and that you see things perfectly. But really, from Jesus' perspective, they were in terrible spiritual shape. They were lukewarm, said Jesus. Neither hot nor cold, good for nothing. And perhaps this is a description of us, maybe, in the, in the Western church. The Western middle-class church, maybe. Perhaps you, you feel like you'd fit right in in the Laodicean church, maybe. And that's because, not because you think of yourself so highly, but maybe you think of yourself lowly, that you feel impure. You know your private sins. But the good news is that Jesus wanted to be in a relationship with the people in Laodicea. Despite their sins, despite the way he described them, he knew exactly what they were like. He didn't turn his back on them. If anything, they had turned their back on him. And Jesus says to them in the letter, famously, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus was keen to associate with impure people. He was keen to engage with the bleeding woman who was a social outcast. He was even happy to be present in the room with the impure corpse of a dead girl. And so how much more is he willing to be close to you? Thirdly, Jesus is real. He makes a permanent difference to our lives. If you do open the door to Jesus, you'll find that you will change. As a result of Jairus coming to Jesus, his daughter was brought back to life. Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. And he said to the girl, get up. Imagine how that would change you. As a result of the bleeding woman coming to Jesus, Jesus felt the power literally come out of him. It's one of the few times we get a glimpse of what it was like to be Jesus. How amazing is that? And then she's healed, no longer an outcast, no longer sick, able to live a new life. This is the life-changing experience that we have from knowing Jesus, the real Jesus. On our church camp, we had on the last day, on the Sunday, four interviews. And I was reflecting on those four interviews. And each one of them, in different ways, revealed how Jesus had changed them. We had, um, we interviewed, oh, I, I interviewed Esther, and she talked about her years growing up as a, a kid, child of missionaries in Guinea, and her growing relationship with Jesus in that context, and how, first of all, that gave her a real appreciation of um, the blessings that God had given her, because she'd grown up with not much, and that has set her up well for life in a, in a wealthy context of Melbourne. But also, she's thankful that with Jesus, she's allowed to make mistakes and be herself and that she knows that God loves her regardless. What a change that has caused for her. Ben Thomas, um, he talked about how he'd been away from his faith for something like 20 years. He grew up as a 
kid going to church and even a young adult, but then for 20 years or so was away. But then a health crisis meant that he wanted to come back to be at church and in the community, in that horizontal community, it's where he could encounter Jesus again and get right with God. And in doing this, this led him down a, a path of rich awakening in his faith, so much so that now he's studying at theological college. Sarah Abdul Sayed, she talked about how, uh, you know, she, again, similar, she grew up as a Christian, but then sort of, you know, teenage years, decided not to go to church anymore, but sort of had faith in the, her background, in, the, in her background, and never fully gave it up. But then when she got to uni in New South Wales, having gone up there from Melbourne, she happened to be at college with some really faithful uni students who brought her along to church, brought her along to some Bible studies, and her faith came alive, and then she got baptised in the University of New South Wales swimming pool. And then she talked about, Sarah talked about how her faith in Jesus, now it enables her to marvel in, in her work as a doctor, researching um, children's brains as a neurologist, marvelling at God's creation. And then the last interview I had was with Sean, who's sitting there in the second row. And Sean talked about how, you know, as a young, um, non-religious English bloke, backpacking around the world, has a chance meeting with uh, Megan in um, Bali, and then suddenly, after uh, some years, uh, they, they um, have, uh, get married and have kids. And during lockdown in 2020, Sean's doing the Alpha course and he's exploring faith. He'd been embraced by the Boonstra family and faith came alive for him and Jesus has changed Sean from being that non-religious English backpacker to a Sunday school leader and a community leader, group leader. It's, friends, Jesus is real. He'll make a permanent difference to your life. He'll heal you. He'll turn your shame into joy. He'll open up gifts inside of you, ways to serve people. He'll bring you back to life. Jesus is real also in a fourth way in that he always has the perfect emotional response. I've interviewed a lot of people for, to hear their testimonies and I've heard a lot of testimonies over the years and often a feature of the testimony, they'll say something like, I know Jesus is real because I feel him. They often say that. I feel him in my heart when I'm singing in, in church or when I, sometimes when I, 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 was at, I was at a church camp and it was really exciting and then I f felt Jesus speak to me. And there's a lot of focus on that, those feelings that the person has. But something that's incredible about Jesus is that Jesus also feels. And he always has the perfect emotional response to our feelings. And we see that um, in the passage we see all the different types of emotions that you can have. For example, there's the expectation of the crowd. There's the distress of Jairus pleading. There's the bleeding woman's anxiety as she trembles. There's the grief of the crowd who are mourning the death of the girl. There's the mocking, laughing of the crowd. As Jesus said, oh, she's not actually dead. And they're cracking up laughing at this guy who has no idea. There's the astonishment from the parents when she does wake up. And in each case, Jesus responds perfectly because he always responds with the perfect emotional response to our emotions. 
So to the expectation of the crowd, he remains focused on those in need. He didn't get swept up in the moment. If I had have rocked up to church this morning and there was a big crowd waiting for me going, Peter, woo-woo, I would have just gone, hi, everyone, and I would have lost my, my ego would have taken over. But with Jesus, he remained focused on those in need. To Jairus' distress, he responded compassionately and in a calm way, walking quickly to the dying girl and telling Jairus to fear not. To the bleeding woman's anxiety, he spoke words of hope and healing. He didn't leave her in her sadness. To the grief of the crowd, he told them to stop grieving because she wasn't dead. To the mocking, laughing of the crowd, he just ignored them. To the parents' astonishment, he told them to keep quiet about it and not to tell anybody. In a relationship with Jesus, you can trust that he's safe. He'll be kind despite how you might feel. He'll respond perfectly, no matter what you're going through. And lastly, Jesus is real because he cares for people like a loving father. Even though Jesus is the son of God and he calls his disciples brothers and sisters, he also relates to us like the way God the Father relates to him. And so out of love, he calls the bleeding woman daughter and he calls the girl my child. Not just child, but my child. The theologian Frank Viola, he's got a great surname, explains what's going on this way. He says, In Jesus Christ, you and I have received something far greater than just a personal saviour. We've received Jesus Christ's very own relationship with his Father. He continues, According to New Testament teaching, what the Father was to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is to you and me. Because we are now in Christ. The Father loves us and treats us just as he does his own son. In other words, we share and participate in Christ's perfect relationship with his Father. In fact, Jesus says he wants us to relate to him like he's our Father. Remember the time he called, he was standing there with the disciples and he got a kid and he got the child to stand in the middle of the the disciples, in the crowd of disciples. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So on your journey to a fuller and deeper relationship with Jesus, is everything okay up the back there? Yep. And focus. (laughs) On your journey to a fuller and deeper relationship with Jesus, know that he is real and alive and cares for you. Know that you can interact with him. He wants to get to know you, even though you're a sinner. He will make a permanent difference to your life. He'll always respond perfectly to whatever you bring to him. And he will love you like a loving father. As Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Amen.